This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Greta Thomas and I'm Claire Hatton and welcome to this week's episode all about how to feel less stuck in your job. Oh, it's an awful feeling, isn't it? I mean, you sort of know when you're not in the right job, but at the same time, you can feel quite helpless to know how to change or what to change to or find the time to do that thinking. And what if you jump from the frying pan into the fire, so to speak? Yeah, not only that, but if you're comparing yourself to others, then that can really make those stuck feelings feel a whole lot worse. Yes. Comparison makes it easier for you to feel embarrassed that perhaps you don't seem to be progressing as fast as your friends. And then that can make it even more difficult for you to talk to others about it and share how you're feeling. And we really get it. We've been there. It's just not a good place to be mentally or physically, is it? No, it's not. And comparison is kind of like the devil, really. We've got to stop it. It really is. <laughs> it really is. So in today's episode, we'll be diving into the very big topic of what useful things you can do when you do feel stuck in your job. But first, let's explore how you can get to that place. Yes, So, of course, there are potentially many, many reasons why this can happen. So we're going to explore just three of the most common reasons for finding yourself stuck that we come across. They are your feeling, number one, stuck because it's nerve wracking and scary to look at making a change and apply for a new job. Staying where you are feels safer. Yep, that one I think is really common, especially if you've been in a role for a long time. Yeah, I see that a lot when I'm coaching. The other one, which is common, is that you're stuck because your job is so good from a money or a status point of view. And others tell you what a great job you've got, but it's not making you happy. Mm. You know, it's kind of like those golden handcuffs. Yeah, yeah. And it can make you very unhappy. It can be a real trap. It really can. And the third reason we'll explore today is that you feel stuck because the job you took just isn't meeting your expectations. Yep, that can happen too. It's happened to me, but I'll save that for a little bit later in the episode. But let's explore firstly, you know, when you feel stuck in your job because it's scary to change. As we said, it's something you and I see a lot with people, isn't it, Claire? And we felt. Yeah, absolutely. That fear of not being able to perhaps cut it in the big world if you leave the job and the organization you're at currently, or fear of being rejected, what if you don't even get an interview and the like, or fear of failing if you get the job, but can I do the job? You know, all of these things. Now, you might not recognize how you're feeling as fear, but if you find yourself saying any of the following, 
oh, no, I'm not ready for that role yet. What if I try that job but fail? How humiliating would that be? No, no, I'm much safer here. Or it's been so long since I've had a job interview. What if I get rejected? Well, that, my friends, is fear talking right there. No questions asked. The voice, of course, is your inner critic or evil DJ, as we like to call it. And the thing we have to remember is that our brains are wired to keep us safe. So that voice inside our head will say anything to avoid getting you out of your comfort zone. It certainly will. So moving on to another reason for feeling stuck, there's the stuck feeling because actually, from other people's perspective, you're in a great job. It pays handsomely. You've got all the trappings of success but you feel absolutely joyless inside. And also because it's a big job, you probably are so busy that you don't actually even have time to stop and really think or listen to your intuition about what's right for you. I've actually been there too. And actually this is exactly the situation that one of our early podcast guests was in. Sherilyn Shakel. Yes, that's right. And she found herself running and owning a really successful and lucrative headhunting recruitment business. It didn't actually feel like that. It didn't actually feel successful because I got myself trapped in that whole loop of, you know, making money, living a certain lifestyle because I've made money and then having to make more money to maintain the lifestyle. And I'd got myself into quite a treadmill, if I'm honest. And it culminated in me becoming very, very stressed, working every hour, God sent, hardly seeing the children, traveling a lot. And in truth, in my heart, in my core, I never loved being a headhunter. I never loved being in that industry, ever. I didn't really allow myself to look at it at the time because it was a means to such a fabulous end. You know, I was doing this job that I was really good at and being successful at it, at least in terms of money. But I never bounced out of bed in the morning feeling full of joy. I never came home at the end of the day feeling, yes, today I've changed someone's life. I've I've done something meaningful. I've done something with purpose. And what I didn't realize at the time is that sort of discordant balance between being successful and doing something that I love was having a very, very negative impact on me health-wise. I can so relate to that in terms of doing well. You know, I think many of us have at one time or another judged our self-worth and status from our job title, um, possibly our salary. Definitely. And also the brand that we work for. Oh, yeah, big time. You know, I totally remember when I left Google, people saying to me, you're leaving Google? Are you sure? That didn't help, to be honest, because it was big. But, you know, also, if you're not given a lot of feedback, then how much money you earn can actually be a proxy for saying to yourself, okay, I'm doing okay. Yeah, indeed. And then you layer onto that the importance of financial security that a lot of women, a lot of people have. And I totally get why you wouldn't rush to change your job or what you're doing because you're aware that, you know, you're on a good wicket financially. But of course, that can mean you deny yourself really vital things like health or happiness. Yeah, exactly. That's what happened to Sherilyn. She became really very ill in her early 40s and she nearly died and that really caused her to step back and really think about what was truly important to her and through that process she actually realized she was in the wrong career 
And that prior to that, she'd been, as she said, trapped in this loop of having to maintain her lifestyle. Yeah, you can, and you can so understand and see how that can happen. Now, before we explore the all-important topic of how to fix feeling stuck, there's one more feeling stuck reason we want to explore briefly, and that's when your job just isn't meeting the expectations you have for it. You know, for example, you thought you'd be doing X, but you end up doing way more of Y, and you thought you'd have been promoted by now, perhaps, or maybe had a pay rise. Or perhaps it's actually not the type of job or company you thought it was from the outside at all. Yep. And that's a really common one for sure. Yes. That disappointment with how things are going where you are. It might be more than disappointment, of course. You might have come to totally hate your job or the people you work with. <laughs> not that unusual sometimes. Or perhaps you're being unrealistic. But we'll come to that in a little bit. Yes, because that's important. So indeed we will. All right. So we've looked at three key reasons that people can feel stuck in their jobs. But before we all get too down in the dumps about feeling stuck, I think it's time now to explore how do we get unstuck? Absolutely. Well, the first thing we're going to tackle is the fear scenario, where you're saying to yourself things like, I'm not ready yet. Or what if I fail at that new job and get fired? Or I don't know what to say in my CV and I don't want to do a job interview. Oh, for sure. All those fear-based things where we just don't feel confident or don't like the thought of change. Yeah, and I actually think this is fundamental for getting unstuck, truth to be told. I agree. Because when you feel stuck, it's so often because you're feeling fear or apprehension about trying to do something different. And of course, none of us take easily to change, do we? No, exactly. So then the question is, what to do about this? Well, interestingly, and not necessarily encouragingly, a lot of people, but not us, say that you'll stay stuck until the pain of staying where you are is greater than the pain of making a change and putting yourself out there in a new way. Yeah, and we say, don't wait until the pain is great. Try these things instead to help shift your stuckness and face your fears or apprehension head on. All right, so how to do that? The first thing is to remember, as we said earlier, that our brains are wired to be wary of new things and change. So we're naturally going to feel apprehensive or even sometimes downright terrified when faced with the prospect of needing to do something new. But what we have to realize is that this is completely normal. It's not because you particularly are inadequate in some way. We nearly all feel this way. So remember to tell yourself, it's only when we get out of our comfort zones that we're giving ourselves the chance to grow and learn. And I'm sure we all want that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to reframe how we interpret those feelings of fear when they arise at the prospect of change. Yes. So, so the question is, how do you do that? Good question. How do you do it? Well, here's something practical you can do. The first thing is set aside some alone quality time and get yourself a pen and paper. When you're feeling really stuck at work, ask yourself, what is it exactly that's making you feel apprehensive, worried, or fearful about changing the situation? Take the time to be really honest with yourself and identify what it is that's holding you back or scaring you about this change. And you might be surprised about what that's telling you 
as one of our guests, the philosophical investment banker, Lindley Edwards says. All of us have fear. I don't know anyone who doesn't have fear. And and if it's not what you're trying to do, it doesn't have an element of fear. It often means it's not big enough for you. And when I say that is that the fear makes you feel alive. But the fear is in the ancients, this is why I like the ancients, fear comes out of the same root of language as fear, like wayfair. Fear is your way. It's like doing the path for you. That's really thought-provoking, isn't it? That notion that what we fear is what we should pursue. Tim Ferriss, the podcaster, you know, and author. Yeah, he says, Yeah, exactly. He says much the same thing. So it's not just Lindley's opinion. He says that you can use your fear to point you in the direction of what is most important to you rather than spend time being hard on yourself for feeling fear or being stuck in the first place. Imagine what would be different for you if you could start to recognize and reframe fear as a signpost for where you should go next. You know, I think I actually really need to do more of that myself because it's quite radical really, isn't it? It really is. But, you know, of course it begs the question, how do you get the courage to actually override those fearful feelings? One of the most common things that we hear from our amazing podcast guests is that they ask themselves the following question. What's the worst that can happen? It's so true. So many of them say that, don't they? Yeah, they really do. And look, there's a great and very helpful exercise you can do around this. If you take a clean sheet of paper on the left-hand side, create a column, and you write down as many of those worst things that you think could possibly happen. And don't hold back. Write down the very, very worst things, in fact, if what would happen if you left your job. Now, you might be saying here, why on earth would I want to be reminded of all those terrible things that could happen? And the answer is that writing those terrible scenarios, those only potential terrible scenarios, I hasten to add, helps a lot to be more rational about them. It gets them out of your brain where our imagination concocts kind of weird and scary things. The other thing about writing it down is it also allows us to be able to think more constructively and objectively about how to manage any genuine risks that are there. Yeah, I totally agree. And in fact, can I share a story? Yeah. So when I left Google, well, actually when I'd made the decision to leave Google, and I remember this day really clearly, I went to a coffee shop and I was so scared about actually telling my boss that I was going to leave. I was going to give them six months notice. But, you know, I was sort of thinking to myself, what am I doing? What? I'm leaving Google. I mean, that's completely insane. So I thought, okay, right, I need to get my head in order because I know this is the right decision for me. So I thought to myself, what is the worst thing that could happen? Do you know what I came up with? No, what did you come up with? So what I came up with was that I would fail and that I would have to go back to Google and get a job back with Google. Right. Assuming you could, of course. Yeah. I mean, I felt pretty sure that I would be able to. Right. Because I was leaving on, on really good terms. terms. Yeah. And that was the worst thing that could happen. Right. So really completely not bad at all. Well, no, I mean, you know, to me, that would have been, I would have felt a lot of shame in actually going back and doing that. But, re- you know, really when I thought about it, oh my God, no, not that bad. Amazing. Gosh, it's something that is so common amongst all our podcast guests and you, and I've done it myself as well, is to really ask yourself and work through in a rational way, what is the worst that can happen? 
In fact, we've actually got a really helpful template for this exercise and it helps you write things down, but it also has columns for you to think about the concrete actions you could take to minimize any of the genuine risks that are potentially ahead of you. And also there's a great column, I think, about writing down, well, if you don't change, if you let your fears win, how you feel about this in a few years time when you're still in the same position. And you can download that template from this episode's webpage at our website, don'tstopusnow.co. Yeah, another great thing to do is talk about your worries with someone you trust. You know, sometimes another person's perspective can really make all the difference and can really put things in a helpful perspective. And a final thought on feeling fearful about change is this insight from the not-for-profit CEO, Kat Dunn, a former high-flying lawyer in financial services. As humans, our minds can only measure what we will lose. It can't measure what we will gain. And that, to me, struck me as so important for where I was at that time because I looked at what I'd built over my career and I didn't want to lose it, but I knew that I couldn't possibly imagine what I would gain and what if what if what I could gain was infinitely more powerful than what I stood to lose? And that was the moment where I said the next day, I called up the secretary of my group executive and said, I'd love to have a meeting with her face to face. I need to tell her something. And that message was that I was resigning. I just love how Kat articulates that or how that comedian articulated it, I guess, that, you know, that we always default to thinking about what we lose or what we could lose versus what we could gain. And that's so true, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. So let's park fear now and let's go back to the scenario our guest Sherilyn Chakel shared earlier, you know, where your job is one that's perceived to be a great job to everybody else in terms of money or status or both, but you feel really locked in because it doesn't feel possible to step away from that salary or that identity. Mm. So let's say the issue is your salary feels too good to give up. The first thing to really explore is if you could find a way to reduce your living expenses and get by earning less. Yes, it might mean giving up a smashed avocado toast three times a week. No, say it isn't so. But would it be (laughs) worth it to get out of the job that you feel trapped in? Methinks it probably would be. Now, if you're looking for encouragement to try living on less or you just don't believe it's possible, then listen how happily Kat, who we just heard from earlier, lives today compared to before when she actually earned double what she's earning now. I earn like 50% less money than I did in corporate. And I and like full disclosure here, the past, my life of the past two years is fundamentally unrecognizable. I'm 35 years old. I'm childless. I'm going through a separation, a very loving one. So I'm not married. I'm earning less money than I did in corporate. And I've got a completely different career to the one that I started out my degree in and paid all my hex for. And I have never felt more fulfilled in my life. And I really understand now what people talk about when they talk about financial security being a mindset rather than an external reality because I have less quote-unquote money now, but my experience of my life is so much more secure and more fulfilling because I'm not striving to be something that I'm not. It's so true, isn't it, that all too often money is viewed as the be-all and the end-all in this day and age. And yet cat's proof that it's so much more rewarding to do something you find worthwhile. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she certainly is. But let's take this further and and say you've decided that you could live 
on a lower income. And so there you are, ready to do something closer to your heart, but it's not actually always easy to know or pin down exactly what that something is, is it? No, it's not. Well, let's hear how Sherilyn went about identifying what she would do next. You have to give yourself a little bit of time, but allowing an opportunity where you just visualize what the best time in your life could look like sometime in the future that hasn't happened yet. And what would be in place? And what would be going on for you in that time? What would your relationships be like? What work will you be doing? You know, what will your life be full with? That began to shape what I wanted to do going forward. I think visualization exercises can be so powerful. The act of not being rational, but just letting go and just imagining how you might like something to be, look, feel, smell, you know, in the future is just so powerful. It is great because it's so different to the way we typically think day by day at work. You know, we're sort of very much sort of rational thinking and incremental thinking, whereas this takes you away from that, which I agree. I love it. Now, for those interested about what Sherilyn actually went on to do, she spent the next 18 months after doing all of this visualization work and working with a coach on what she wanted to do, she spent 18 months still in her headhunting recruiting business that she had. And she was lucky because it was quiet because it was just after the global financial crisis. And she took that time to really work out in more detail what it would look like if she left. And she came up with the idea of the not-for-profit marketing academy that she wanted to set up. And at 18 months, she spoke to loads of people and got lots of research and really worked out how she would do it. And soon with the support of many, she was working full-time in the academy. And in her words, that are so uncannily like Kat Dunn's were earlier. She said she'd never be rich again, but, and I'll quote her directly, she couldn't give a shit as she's doing something she absolutely loves. And for her, it was just a matter of letting go of that social pressure of needing to maintain her current lifestyle and realizing that it wasn't a step backwards for her to take a lower salary and do what she loved. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that the other scenario to talk about here is when you feel stuck and unhappy in a job and you can't reduce your living expenses for whatever reason. You know, maybe you're supporting others, putting your kids through school, or maybe you've got debts that you you just can't get out of. for sure. You don't have that choice. Yeah. So what do you do then? Well, here's a couple of suggestions. The first thing is to work out specifically what makes you unhappy in your job. Are there parts of the job that you actually enjoy? Then consider having a conversation with your boss about how you could increase doing more of the things that you love. You can explore maybe even looking at other job opportunities internally. And if not your boss, are there other people in the organization that you can seek advice from? Mm. Then secondly, of course, if it's the organization or the people that are making you feel trapped, but you quite like your job, then reach out to headhunters who are active in your space to see if there are any other opportunities. And a third thing to consider, and be really honest with yourself here, is how is your mindset? Are you playing the victim? Because, you know, I do see this every now and again. You know, we all need to take ownership and accountability for the situations we find ourselves in. It's not actually constructive or healthy to play the victim. 
you know, once you take ownership and you can start thinking constructively about how you could improve your situation, you're likely to already feel better. Yeah, that makes complete sense, particularly because I think we make the mistake of thinking other people are mind readers of how we're feeling. And we assume people will realize we're not happy and that we want something different and that they will intervene at some point and rescue us. And the fact is, everyone is so busy with their own work and their own day-to-day issues that you should never count on someone anticipating your needs, not not in a professional sense anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Finally, even when you are stuck in your job because of finances, it really helps to put a strategy together where you create a pathway to do what you want to do in the future. So, you know, you plan it out milestone by milestone, mapping out the steps that you would need to take to change the situation over time. And it really helps because it gives you a light at the end of the tunnel. It's actually really good to work with either a coach or a financial planner or both, if you can afford it, to really help you map this out. I guess that makes sense in some ways because sometimes just even trying to project, you know, how your finances could play out into the future can be a bit overwhelming or daunting. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, moving now from there to our third feeling stuck scenario. And that was when you feel stuck in your job because your expectations aren't being met. Now, sometimes we feel stuck in this way because we don't believe we're progressing or being promoted within a reasonable enough time frame. If that's the case, you can do what leading executive Anne Sherry has done. The real story is I look for opportunity. I'm intolerant of jobs that I don't think I can see my way forward in. So sometimes I move jobs and industries because I'd come to the end of the line with that particular industry or job. So I'm not one of those people, and I say this to people often, that sits around hoping that the world around me is going to get much better and that maybe they will move on and I'll be okay. So I don't do that. If I've hit the wall, then I move. I really respect that approach that Mm. Anne takes. And you've changed jobs quite a few times, haven't you? Yes, I have. (laughs) So how have you made the decision when it's time to move on? Well, typically when I was in my early and mid-career, I was definitely looking for opportunities and sometimes I was impatient. Sometimes they came to me, but I also definitely kept an eye on things and I definitely left existing roles for new opportunities that I secured. Of course, then there's a different scenario where I've left because what I was expecting in the role was not what I got. And the example I'm thinking of here is where I'd been appointed to run a small organization day-to-day as COO, basically, and the founder was still involved. So he was kind of like the CEO in effect. Now, it turned out after I started that he was a real micromanager and he really couldn't let go of anything. But at the same time, he would be telling me he wanted me to make decisions. and Sounds um, like a nightmare. Yeah, it was pretty bad because in reality, almost every decision I made, he ended up wanting to tweak or change completely and have his say and his way. He just couldn't let go. And it happened from day one. But I thought, well, 
I've just started. I've got to give him time to learn to trust me. So I, I said, I've got to give this at least three months. I was absolutely miserable, but I hung on in this new job for three months saying that, you know, I've got to give him a chance. But three months came and I had had plenty of chance to observe him with other people who'd been there longer. Nothing had changed with me. And I realized that he behaved in exactly the same way with people who'd been there years. And I knew he trusted them, but he still couldn't help but micromanage and get involved in everything and not give them autonomy in any way. So three months and one day after starting that role, given it was not at all what I was expecting, I walked in and resigned and it was the best thing I've done. Great. And did you have anything to go to? No, no, not at all. I was just so glad to be out. It had been affecting me physically. I was walking around in a slumped position. Fortunately, you know, I'd previously worked for myself before, so I think it made it easier for me to not be too scared about having nothing to go to. And also it made me probably even more sensitive to being micromanaged. You know, I was used to being autonomous in the past as well. Well, it sounds like it was a really good decision. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, and of course, with our expectations for our jobs, sometimes, as in your story, you know, the expectations are reasonable. But one thing that we're increasingly hearing now from CEOs is that expectations of employees are sometimes unreasonable. And so we want to touch on that. Yeah, so true. You know, so for example, if you're feeling stuck in your job because you're not getting enough opportunity or progression, but you're only six months or a year in, then we strongly counsel you to be patient. You know, it all depends on the type of organization that you join, of course, but you can't expect to be promoted every year. It just doesn't work like that. Particularly the more senior you get, the fewer the roles. Yeah, that's so true. I think Mia Friedman has some really great advice for how to think about your career, particularly if you're sort of early or mid-career. And it's on the topic that you shouldn't always expect a promotion and nor is that the best or most obvious next step. She argues that in this day and age where technology is changing what we need to be able to do in the future so much that you really need a breadth of skills. I think that We were much more focused on the ladder, the career ladder. And I think what I try to explain to people now is that it's more like a lattice. Career paths are more like a lattice because there are very few ladders and your ladder limits you. And what's much more important now is being more lateral in your skill set. So not just being able to write because then what happens when podcasts come along and suddenly people aren't reading anymore you want to be able to try to do video and you want to know a bit about social and you want to know a bit about podcasting. And the more laterally, certainly as a content creator, you can go, the more valuable you're going to be to your future employers. I really love that concept of the lattice. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it really makes sense to me. And, you know, while Mia talked about content creators there in that specific scenario, actually, you know, the changes are imminent in workplaces everywhere, thanks to AI and automation. And they're really significant. So I think we'll all benefit, to be honest, by doing our bit to stay relevant and learning new skills. Yeah. And increasing that breadth of what we do. So true. All right. So this has been quite a long, thorough exploration of being stuck. So we've shared a number of exercises and tips here to try if you are feeling stuck in your job, whether you're feeling stuck because change is a bit scary or you're feeling stuck because you've got a great job that others would kill for, but it's not making you happy, or whether you feel stuck because it's just not what you thought it would be like when you accepted the role. 
And we've covered different things that you can try in those scenarios and shared stories of what you can do to get unstuck. We sure have. And a reminder here is to head to the episode page at our website to download the what's the worst that can happen template. Absolutely. And if you know someone who'd benefit from this episode, why not share it with them now? And remember, we're celebrating our first birthday here at Don't Stop Us Now. And you get the chance to win two free hours of coaching with us worth $1,500 to talk about whatever career topic would help you personally. Now, we don't do this very often, certainly not together. So don't miss out. To enter and be able to have a chance to win it, see our episode page for all the details. It's not hard, so don't delay as entries close on the 3rd of July. Do not delay, indeed. Indeed. Well, that's this episode on being stuck in your job, done and dusted. Be sure to tune in to our next episode with tech titan and serial entrepreneur and all-round great person, Cyan Taid. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 